This episode is brought to you by Bullet Wealth. It's a new YouTube channel. It's got a lot of interesting facts about like financial advice. It's hosted by Scott Merrick. He's the owner of Maya Wealth, a wealth management company. And so he has the experience and the know-how. It's very entertaining. You can get a nice little financial segmented education if you go to Bullet Wealth on YouTube. Check it out. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. It is the underwear with the dual pouch system. One pouch for one part of the male anatomy, another for the other part of the male anatomy. Not only is the underwear the most comfortable underwear you'll ever wear, but it also has the most stylish designs and patterns. The fabrics actually have a cooling effect when you put them on for the very first time. Your body will thank you because it's one of the hottest parts of your body. So cooling it down with these special fabrics that Sheath provides is a nice experience. The proof is in the pudding. We have a 100% money back guarantee on the very first pair. If you don't like it, we'll send you your money back. Go to sheathunderwear.com, use promo code RPG and save 20%. We appreciate your support. Back to the show. Welcome to the RPG Podcast. And we are live. Oh, God, Pat! Presented by Sheath. A Time Wheel Production. It's all I've seen you here in person when I was just watching the, your latest uh, hilarious video on YouTube. <laughs> well, oh, for shoot. me, for me, it's odd seeing you in person as I'm literally wearing your underwear in the moment. Yeah, those were the ones. Those were that was my favorite pair. I've worn it for like three three years, and I felt like I should go ahead and pass that along to one of the. The new greats. Yeah, well, I think the customer service of breaking in the underwear for everybody is, I mean, it's a little bit of a felony, but I think it's also a touch of goodwill. Yeah, I mean, it's going the extra mile. We try to do yeah. take an extra step to make sure our customers get the best care in their underwear. Yeah, and that's something they will appreciate and should probably never know. <laughs> <laughs> And we are live, ladies and gentlemen, with the one and only JP Sears from Awaken with JP, one of the hottest YouTube channels, you know, around. Is it not? Tell me I'm lying. <laughs> you know, I'm biased. So, you know, I wouldn't say it's one of the hottest. I'd say it's by far the hottest. It has. No, but yeah. I, I enjoy doing my thing and, and very grateful for a lot of people around the world wanting to watch the perspectives I convey. Isn't it wild? Isn't life just kind of crazy? <laughs> it, it's a crazy time we're living in. And yeah, I think life in general, whether we're living in this time or not, it's it's probably the craziest thing we could ever do. It's quite the adventure. And, yeah, yeah, but I mean, to the fact that you are now being watched by millions of people all over the world, like, did you ever think? No. How did you start with yeah. you know, YouTube and yeah, it's, it's so weird. It's crazy. I, I still don't think I really comprehend it, but it it weirds me out, like in a, in a good way. But 
the weirdness is just like, well, I don't know how that happened. I'm just making stupid videos. But yeah, how I got started, never had any kind of plan mm -hmm. for YouTube or any kind of videos to be at all a big thing, let alone a, a consistent thing. But it was what October 5th, 2014. That's back. That was the day I uploaded my first YouTube video. Wow. Just think it was called how to be ultra spiritual. And I was just thinking, this is going to be stupid videos. Gonna <laughs> have watch. I don't even know how to make videos or comedy videos. But uh, I'll tell you, it woke something up inside of me. It was a level of creative satisfaction and fulfillment I'd never known before. You know, I had never had any level of, sorry, my dogs. Wally, hey, that's enough, buddy. Any good podcast has a ruthless dog interruption. Um, but it. I never had any level of artistic expression, music, dance, like nothing. It was, I was kind of played sports and then went into uh, studying exercise and worked with clientele with personal training. But so it was just like surprise. I'm, I think I was 33 years old at the time. Like surprise, like this is creatively very satisfying. So I think it was like a three weeks after I published my first comedy video, I had this earth-shattering idea, whoa, what if I made another video? So I, I did that, and but I'll tell you, in the beginning, I had a, a scarcity consciousness around the videos. It, it was kind of like, all right, maybe I have this first idea, then like mm -hmm. the second idea, but like, I'm not going to have, there won't be any more ideas. Yeah, you're going to run out of ideas, you felt like, maybe. Absolutely. But I think after about nine months of making a video anywhere from once a week to once a month, I realized, like, oh, this is a, like a creative well that isn't really going to run dry. Um, and then I've just been doing my best to Forrest Gump my way along ever since. Uh, you never know what you're going to get with J.P. Sears. <laughs> Life I, is like a gluten-free box of chocolates. That's the only... I can't eat any gluten. Nothing with gluten in it. I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do... I mean, you're in the same... Well, you see, you're from Austin. You're fitness... Uh, you, you got educated in fitness, as you just informed me, because I was kind of wondering what you did before and... Were you involved at the Onnit Academy at all back no, then? Okay. No, I wasn't. I lived in Austin for, uh, I've lived here a little over four years, but it's interesting, Onnit, speak of the angel, that's one of the major reasons why I moved to Austin. So it was, uh, I think, in the fall of 2017. Wow. Um, I'm friends with Aubrey Marcus, the founder yeah. of Onnit. Sure. And he, he was holding a weekend event at on it. And he said, Hey, JP, can you come to town and do a speech at the, oh. do a talk? I said, sure. Not a problem. So my fiance at the time, now wife, she came with me for the weekend, her first time in Austin. And we left that weekend looking at each other, just saying like, should we move to Austin? There was just this feeling, this vibe, and of course, being around great people and seeing mm -hmm. the city is not only a cool city, but 
beautiful landscapes all around. You know, it's kind of shattered our notion of like Texas is a boring, dry wasteland. West Texas is, but Austin's beautiful. And some of the most inspiring people you'll ever find pretty well congregated in a a small space. So uh, there is that on it connection. Okay, so there is an yeah, exactly. I thought there was, and I was I, I was living in San Antonio around two thousand. Well, from twenty twelve to twenty fifteen, and I wasn't really feeling it anymore. And I was going to either move to Austin or come back up here to Colorado. And my daughter, living here in Colorado, won the coin toss yeah. there. But Austin, I was so close and and I joined the Onnit Academy like and I was driving from San Antonio to Austin just to go oh, work wow. out with with Primal Soldier and some Oh yeah. Eric know. and his brother Juan there. Yeah, they're yeah. crazy. Crazy. So you know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh cuz I I just the there was an attraction drawing for, to Austin from on it and you know which is connected to Joe Rogan and all the and I was a huge fan still am and uh so I was trying to just get involved we were trying to we were like slipping packages to Aubrey of Sheath and he just so busy as you're well aware of probably now how you are busy you know and I'm now starting to get like a glimpse of people reaching out to you kind of wanting to be affiliated with you in some kind of way because of what you're doing. And so I, I don't hold any, you know, ill feelings for him well, not responding. Oh, well you should. Uh, Aubrey <laughs> told me personally, he despises you. He was offended by these packages. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. He's too, he's too handsome. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I knew I wasn't good enough. Okay. So the truth comes out. All right. Yeah. That's fine. Take it We're going to, that's, that's one of the four agreements uh, to have a good life. Just take everything personally. Yeah. Get, and then you get revenge. That's, exactly. Yeah. That, and I'm going to, so I'm, well, I was going to say I'm, I'm coming for you, Aubrey, but he he golden parachuted out from as far as I know they they sold right. He did, yeah. I think it was slightly over a year ago that on it sold, and and I'm I'm so happy for Aubrey because he's worked his butt off to create something amazing and got a, a a great reward for it, and then his his heart is now in a, a different place than the ethos of on it, though. It's like, that's still a part of Aubrey. Now he's much more interested in helping people at a much more introspective spiritual, spiritual, level. psychological level. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I just took some uh, alpha brain shout out back one more, one more shout out to on it. And I, I take shroom tech because yeah. I live in, I live in 8,500 elevation and so they say that the cordyceps mushrooms helps you process oxygen better at high altitudes. So pretty much every day I'm taking the shroom tech. I'll take alpha brain sometimes. I'm coming, I'm still testing positive for COVID right now, oh, which yeah. is, I finally got it. I was so, I thought I was like one of the, the last remaining people who would, I was like, I can't get it. I'm too, I'm too strong <laughs> with a new system. But what had happened was like I had people come in from out of town, we're drinking, we're playing poker, we're going to comedy, we're going to fights, and like four nights in a row, 
of just kind of partying. And then the last night I got like no sleep and the next day it's just, it hit me. So yeah, those those are ingredients for putting the immune system on, uh, (laughs) on the down low. Yeah. It got, it got redlined and then it went, it just was like, okay, we're done. Yeah. Well, congratulations for getting it. Uh, that's very inclusive of you. Um, it's kind of, it kind of makes you a conspiracy theorist if you don't get it. It's like, what are you trying to deny reality here? Just get get the damn get, disease. Yeah, get in line with the program. I was fucking... I, well, and my wife had gotten it like two months earlier. And for 10 days, practically, she had it. And I'm sleeping right next to her for 10 days and didn't catch it. Yeah. And like two months later, I caught it. And what's funnily enough, like uh, my daughter come came to visit. She was home for from college for a couple of days. And uh, as she walks in the door, I'm wearing my, I will not comply awaken with JP hoodie. And she just said, she's ha ha. Yeah. Well played by your daughter. I love that. (laughs) That is funny. I was like, okay, I'm still, I still stand by my decision to just get it. I've always been like that with, well, kind of always been like that. Like with the flu is like, I'll take my chances. If I get it, I'll get I'll get the flu and then now I'm vaccinated. So now I'm vaccinated or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, inoculated. It, it, inoculated. I've always had the same view of the flu and COVID, which I personally I put in the same category, uh-huh. where uh-huh. it's just kind of like I don't want to. I'm not worried if someone says, "Hey, I have the flu" or "I just did." It. Um, and also looking at it like, well, if you get the flu. It sucks, or it can suck. Sometimes it's mild, but you'll actually have a stronger immune system because of it. And I'm not a doctor, so pardon my thinking that I think is correct, but probably isn't. If you don't get the flu for a long time, you know, the flu virus, it's a virus that naturally mutates, kind of gets stronger. So if you don't get it for a long time, then you get it, you know, years into the future, you don't have as much strength in the immune system to fight it off. So I think that's one of the reasons I've rationalized. I'm, I don't want to get it, but I'm not scared to get it. Yeah, there's nothing. Well, just take it from me. It's nothing to be scared of. It was kind of like a forced vacation. I was, I had to like sit down and watch movies for a week and, uh, yeah. It could be a lot worse. I, I'm not. It just it just kind of sucked because I you know like you I like to be active and do shit and you know use my body to just stay like physically fit because by staying physically fit I find I'm more mentally fit and then yeah. etc. So it's been hard in that regard. But today is like day eleven or ten, and I feel I, I thought I was going to test negative. I was like I'm I'm better, and then it was positive. can i ask did you take uh everyone's favorite horse dewormer i did but what what sucked is i didn't take it preventatively because and i I had been for like six months like kind of religiously or whatever and of course i got complacent like oh and then we had gone to um veil for a LFA, I don't know, it's Legacy Fighting Alliance. It's a smaller fighting organization. Um, we sponsored it. And so we had front row tickets and VIP table and all my friends went. And um, I should have taken it. 
I should have fucking taken it as a pr- like prophylactic, like yeah. a rubber. <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> you were you were just raw dog in the virus. I was raw dog in the world. <laughs> and it, got, it fucking got me. I was oh well. So but I I had taken it when my wife got it. I had taken it's very same situation. It was like two months before we went to an LFA fighting event in Vail and I had come back, but I had I took the Ivy Wild. Ivy, can't say it. And uh and it it, I think it works. People say it doesn't work. I didn't get it for like the whole time I was taking it. And then when I stopped taking it, I ended up getting it. And once you've got it, you can't, it's not like it'll get rid of it. You know what I mean? Cause it's gotta be pre infection. Yeah. I believe again, not a yes. doctor, but I was talking to now the late Dr. Zelenko about the horse deworming drug and and he talked about how preventatively very powerful and also at the very early on stages of onset but i think once you're once you get too deep into being sick then it's kind of like a, a, a fair bit less effective and and i know i take it you know the past year or so anytime i feel anything start to come on i'll take it mm-hmm. and i don't know like was my destiny i would have gotten sick or was i just gonna was i just a bit low for a day and it was gonna go off anyway so uh but that's my experience with it no and i t- and i did take like I, I, as i was driving home from Vale, i called my wife and i was like i need a big old thing of water because i had like no water for a three-hour drive home i totally it was a, just a poor planning all the way around on that trip. Cause, but, uh, and I was like, give me two Iver rectin and, uh, and some vitamins. I don't even know if I took the vitamin C, some, some zinc. And so it might've been let it cut. Maybe it like prevented it from being worse. That whole theory yeah. well, would have been worse if you didn't take it. You would have died. I would have died. Who knows? Man, I, I love how everyone's a doctor now. Like, yeah, just whatever. Whether it's the news or me or you or some Yahoo, it's just no. Let me tell you how it would have been if you if you did didn't do that. Like, it would have been worse. Like, how do you know? Dude, my mom is on her fourth booster. Shout out to my mom, and uh, she's like, you should have got the vaccine. <laughs> I'm like, well, I didn't, so we're a little late now, and that's not helping. And it, everyone is like backing their opinion with, you know, with so-called facts and, dude. So confirmation bias. There's yeah, com- no shortage of it in our world today, and probably, certainly, including myself, I fall into that. Yeah, I mean, but okay. You, you are like the sum total of the five people you hang out with the most. I'm sure you've heard that sure. phrase. And um, I'm, I'm reading this book, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Yeah. It's really good. And he's, he talks about how, you know, if, if everybody's going along with a certain narrative and you're not in line with that narrative, if everybody's doing it, you know, at first, if it's just like one or two people, it'll be like, you're crazy. But then if everybody's doing it, you start, going, well, am I crazy? 
<laughs> and yeah. in today's age with like the emperor wears no clothes <laughs> it's like am i crazy or is he is he awesome he might, yeah maybe. Uh, yeah that, man it, it's it's weird and uh, i think on my good days i acknowledge kind of what we alluded to earlier like i think everyone's crazy period just like which crazy which version of crazy how crazy are we being and uh so I, I i don't think we can avoid crazy i think we're swimming in that ocean right now well you know you're never going to survive unless you get a little crazy. crazy yeah that's right so shout, seal seal called it all those years ago um and I, I i believe that you know i wouldn't have done what i've done maybe you wouldn't have done what you've done if you didn't believe if you weren't like crazy enough to maybe believe just a little bit that it was possible um you know and yeah. um, i had a uh, like I, I always wanted to kind of be a little you know we all do kind of want to be stand out and, and, and amongst our peers and do something more but uh I was reading a lot of books on success and stuff before I came up with the idea for sheath and we could go into my whole story, but after like opening my mind up to the p potential and the possibility of something more or whatever, that's when I had the idea and, mm. and then like going for it required me to um, like take that leap of faith and visualize and stuff like that. Do you, have principles of like the law of attraction or you yeah. mentioned the four agreements. Yeah. You know, all that stuff is so meaningful to me. I was uh, 19 years old when I got into reading success, self-help books. I remember I had Tony Robbins cassette oh, yes. tapes. I mean, cassette tapes, just dating myself for crying out loud. But, you know, Think and Grow Rich, all the classics, oh, and then... That's my favorite book. Yeah, so many. And then, you know, uh, on the subject of crazy, I think that a, a certain amount of crazy relative to how we are is necessary to live beyond what we think is possible because we all have our limiting beliefs. But mm -hmm. when they're ours, we just call them our beliefs. And, of course, we back our all of our beliefs up whether they're empowering or disempowering, we back up all of our beliefs with stories and rationalizations about why they're true. doesn't mean they're true. just means we start to believe they're true. So I think we need to get crazy relative to our limited beliefs in order to go on the other side of them. Because I, I think that, that formula for me is basically stop believing your beliefs. And, and that sounds crazy. It's like they're my beliefs and I have this all this empirical data from my life that I use to justify these beliefs. But I, I know for myself, and probably much like yourself, right now, I wouldn't say I'm living the life of my dreams. I'm living a life beyond what I ever dreamt possible. And trust me, I got pr plenty of problems and challenges. I'm not saying I don't. But relative to what I always thought was my destiny, let alone like the upper limit, like, okay, what's my dream? I got crazy enough to let something happen beyond that. And I think the more sane we are, not sane in a clinical sense, but sane in the sense of we are loyal to our own mind and loyal to our own beliefs. The more sane we are in that respect, 
the more anchored we are into basically the center of gravity of what our beliefs and therefore their limitations currently are. Um, okay, so I was, my mind was kind of going a direction when you were like sane and grounded and like some people might say, you know, you need, you need to be realistic, yeah. you know. And I'm like, I would rather live in this so-called fantasy world where my dreams are possible rather than the being realistic in the sense that I, you know, need to pay the bills and, and just do what everyone else does and just get the take, keep, keep your job. And I was doing really well in the army and in any of my previous jobs, I always kind of excelled. It, what I, whatever I was doing, I have a bit of a competitive nature to me. And so anybody around me, I'm like going to try to outshine them, I guess. What's, what sport did you play in high school sports? Yeah. So I, when I was younger than high school, I played everything available, baseball, soccer, football, basketball, track and field. And then uh, when I got to high school, like, okay, now the seasons are longer. You're supposed to take them more seriously. Uh, I played high school football and track wow. my fir first year of high school. And then I got pretty disenfranchised with the emotional, I would call it emotionally abusive behavior of the football coach, where <laughs> when I was in middle school, it's like, dude, football is fun. And I was pretty good. I get to high school. I'm still pretty good. Uh, I got my varsity letter as a freshman. Wow. But it is wow. fun. It was, yeah. it's kind of like I look at the, the tyrants in the world today. It's like, that's, that's how the coach behaved. And there was just nothing fun about it. And in my mind, you know, it, this probably won't shock you to say that I don't take a lot seriously. Yeah, you know, I, I get serious at times. But like my true nature, like uh, I like to be lighthearted. Yeah. So I just couldn't get on board with taking high school football so fucking seriously. Like we need to yell and shame each other and act like this actually matters. Which, by the way, when we're playing in a way where we view it as just a game, I play much better. So uh, it, I didn't. I stopped playing football after my freshman year, and then wow. doing track. I was like, "Well, this is kind of over it." So I did that my sophomore year of high school, then stopped, and then I just basically got into working, being very dedicated to working out, kind of bodybuilding ish. Okay, uh, you know, I was delusional enough to think maybe I could be a pro bodybuilder. Uh, Not even close. <laughs> Uh, that's one of our one of our team members just did uh his first professional bodybuilding competition it was last year and it was all this build-up and he did he fucking took like three months off work practically oh, wow. to i mean not he kind of just did it he wasn't necessarily supposed to but i kind of let him because we sometimes allow people to well, could pursue their dreams outside of sheath as long as you're making sure you get everything you need to get done, to, you know, for sheath and uh, all the buildup and everything. And then he came in like dead last, like out of everybody. And it was, but it, so, it, was, it, it was still at a professional level. Yeah, it was well, at a, but now this year, you know, he's doing it again and he's just like more dedicated. And, it, and my point isn't to like poke fun at him. It's to like point out that, 
you can fail your way forward. And as long as you, you learn from those failures and, sure. and you know, uh, it's shout out to Steven. He's, he's my boy. Uh, so that's, it's funny. Cause I tried out for football my sophomore year. And when they put you in those circles where you have to like run at each other and <laughs> smash into each other, I was the smallest guy on the team or probably like the second smallest. And even the smallest guy was smashing me. And I'm just like, okay, this is not for me. And that, I remember those circles and yeah. it, it's kind of, it's that kind of, it's definitely barbaric. It, I think it's very appropriate for football. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's not a, gen, a gentle sport whatsoever, but I remember those circles and I remember being a freshman and doing the thing with like the first and second year players and they're like, well, JP, you're doing pretty good. Go over there with, the juniors and seniors now do it. And I'm like, Oh, okay. They all outweigh me by 50 pounds easily. Yeah. And then I felt some intimidation. Yeah. That was no fun for me. But, uh, the reason I brought up sports, I guess, and like, because of a competitive nature that I have, which I was always striving so hard just to be average Yeah, that it really, developed a work ethic in me that wherever I went, you know, whatever I did after that, and I kept, even though I never made it anywhere, obviously I played basketball and um, it was just like, I was too slow. I was too short. I was too white. And I'm just kidding about the white part, but it just, I couldn't compete, but because I tried so hard over like from nine to like 16, I really developed a strong work ethic. And so it carried over in, in profession and in the army and stuff. And now, and, and here we are and, you know, I have my own business and I'm yeah. kind of, but I don't really compete against the other businesses. I was watching a Gary V video this morning or something. And he was like, I don't even look at my competitors. I don't know their name. I don't give a fuck what they're doing. You know, I'm focusing on my, on my shit and yeah. that's it. Yeah. Uh, I, I listened to, I think it was Joe Rogan recently had on uh, Gabor Mate. He's a doctor and they were talking about how like traumatized people, which is kind of all of us, mm-hmm. they competition can be a way they compensate for that. And one level is you're always competing with other people. But uh, what I would judge to be a much better level is then you learn to compete with yourself. Not in the sense of like, I'm, I'm good enough and worthy if I reach X goal or do better than I once did, but more from the perspective of life is good and it gets better the more we expand. And the best measuring stick is who we used to be and how good we were doing, whether it's business or whatever the metric is. So. I, much like you, I you know I, I look around with what I do and whether it's other comedians and I just feel nothing but inspired by them. I feel zero sense of competition, yet that competitive edge I, I turn towards myself and I feel it towards myself, and and I love that. I wouldn't want it to change, and and I think similar to you, I. I learned, I think, a, a pretty good work ethic at a younger age. And that's why 
I think a good work ethic, no matter how we are motivated to learn it, whether it's like, hey, I'm average at sports, so I've got to really work my butt off. That's such a gift. Yeah. And, and I hear some various sports analysts talk about, I follow pro motocross, and they've talked about how, you know, someone who's like they're 10 years old, they're just a natural talent. So they don't have to really work hard. They track a lot of those guys. And some of them, like once they reach the professionals, they'll have a year or two of success. Then they fizzle out because they have, they've just leaned on sort of this natural talent of being yes. better than other people. But now you're in the pros and it's like everyone here is that talented, but they don't have the work ethic right. uh, as a foundation to stand on. So, and then, you know, it, it, did you watch, um, uh, Michael Jordan's last dance. Of course, two yeah. times. <laughs> so you learn. When I was a kid, I was delusional enough to think someone like Michael Jordan or any like star athlete or star actor, they don't work hard. They just have this natural gift. But the ones we know about, we start to learn. Like we study psychology, self growth, so we know how to recognize when people are speaking that language when we learn like oh michael jordan was he was so good because he worked harder than anybody else he had other things going for him too for sure kobe bryant same thing he more hours in the gym taking shots and you think about Mal malcolm gladwell's concept of ten thousand hours to mastery and you learn like they just did more volume than anybody else. They had this amazing work ethic. We don't see that. You don't see that on the highlights. You just see this amazing talent and therefore think it's all, all that is. At least that's what I thought when I was Of course. But yeah, they just, they're just naturally gifted. But it's like the people that were naturally gifted from a young age did not have, they didn't have to develop the work ethic because they were so naturally gifted. And then when they run into other people that are naturally gifted that also put in the work ethic, then they're, they, they're going to fall uh, short. You know. Exactly. So given that adversity is what creates strength, you know, the muscle can only be as strong as the weight is heavy. I think now as, as a adult, I can look at not being gifted as a gift because yes. that's what creates the, and, you know, I, I know some people who they, they started a company and whatever, the, the winds were just blowing. They started it at just the right time. And it was like a, yeah, they, they did some hard work, but it was kind of mm -hmm. like a beautiful serendipity. They got very successful. They exited. Then they start company number two without much of a strong work ethic. And you see like, oh, they can't replicate their performance unless they really commit to the beginner's mind of a developing a strong ass work ethic. Yeah. I am. I mean, I, sometimes I feel like that have, I have imposter syndrome or whatever, like that happened to me. Like I was just in the right place at the right time. I had this idea. I put the idea forward and, you know, but like 10 years later, I guess it's more than 10 years at this point you know, call it luck. I don't know. Call it what you want. I still feel like it was, I, I, I just got lucky um, to have been, but, and there is a, a bit of luck 
involved. You know, whenever you go for your dream, you know, like if you read the law, uh, the the secret, the law of attraction, think and grow rich. It's like the the universe will acquiesce to your wishes once you've passed the test of showing that you're not going to quit, you're not going to give up. Yeah. yeah. And then it was like, okay, we're going to give you a couple breaks. Yeah, it, it's weird. It it does seem to work that way, and I think what I've had to, you know, when I was. I think 19 or 20, that's when I first heard the term law of attraction. Nice. And I used to, I would go to the bank and get this huge stack of deposit slips. And I would sit at my desk for 20 minutes a day, writing out uh, the deposit. I think in my mind, like, dude, if I made $20,000 a month, like that was kind of like, dude, I could barely believe that that's possible. But I'd fill out deposit slip after deposit slip for $20,000. That's for so that cool. Month. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I'm, I'm, it's fun to think back at that. But I was just fixated on the law of attraction. It hadn't gotten through my thick skull. Right. But the law of attraction for it to work requires mm-hmm. the law of action. But you, you've got to, just like you said, you've got to show the universe, I'm here to play. Uh, I'm here. I'm not going to back down when there's the first sign of adversity. So you put the the action where your thoughts are. It took me a while to learn that. No, but man, that's so funny. I remember I would like I was 19 sitting in a a boardroom that I wasn't supposed to be in because I just did like administrative payroll type data entry and stuff and but during my lunch break i would go and sit in the boardroom and i would have these imaginary conversations with i'm getting like emotional because it's funny hearing you say all the same stuff and we're both kind of on a similar trajectory same age ish um start you had because you had i had to like ram it in my thick skull like over repetition over and over because we're so conditioned to believe you know the process of school college whatever like work retirement etc like you got to break that mold and to break the mold you got to play this little mental game of you know it's all kind of laid out in these books but of like visualizing the potential just visualizing it and but writing the checks writing yourself checks or writing deposit slips like that's it's in the for it's in the blueprint of success from what i've heard from you know all the greats that have done it before and just seeing your success and hearing you say that you did those things too because that's what i i did shit like that i have a fucking check on my wall for a million dollars you know like i wrote a check to myself you know i'm still waiting to cash it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, can you write me one of those checks too robert i just want to see if that one works i'm gonna yeah that one might work actually and we've and you know obviously the company does millions, but if, when you know, I don't make all the money. <laughs> I don't just you get to a, keep it all. You have a company; it takes a lot of blood to circulate through that thing. I realize. So you were saying when you you going back to when you were nineteen, you were in the boardroom. Who was it that you were having the conversations with in your mind? I mean, I the Abraham Lincoln was one, which is kind of in like Benjamin Franklin, and I think I was using some of the suggestions that Napoleon Hill suggested. But these old great thinkers 
of the past who were real because and I never really considered myself an intellectual. So I was kind of I would put people and Napoleon Hill was in there himself, um, and you know, and I don't even remember what I would ask them, but it was a very fun exercise because they actually would answer. But it was coming from my own mind, obviously. But you can you can like draw from the universe if yeah. you ask. I think. Yeah, it, and I think that it really is like okay. Now you be the voice of Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, it's your own mind. But I think that's like Gestalt therapy. It, it activates a part of your brain and a part of your mind that is dormant, but probably very powerful. It's dormant when you just think you're being you. Um, and I would do something similar at the time. Uh, you know, I would have conversations with Bob Proctor. Oh, I love Bob Proctor. Um, he died recently. I don't know he, if you know that. He did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Brian Tracy, Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if it's serendipity, but like now, like I was just, uh, exchanging voice notes with Tony Robbins today. I'm grateful to call him a friend, but I, are you serious? Yeah. Like, I just wonder like <sighs> back when I was you know, over half my life ago, having imaginary conversations with him, did that like pave the way for what's become a, a great friendship, personal connection today? Doesn't really matter because it, it's, it's just great that it happened, but it's a very intriguing question. And just then coincidence. Yeah. yeah was, <laughs> and then, you know, those conversations that you, I would imagine at some level you risked feeling uncomfortable sitting there, like probably the only person you know who has imaginary conversations in a boardroom there physically with Abraham Lincoln and Benjamin Franklin, how much of what you allow yourself to do today is a result of that? It's a mystery, but a fun question. And I personally think that, you know, I owe my 19-year-old self and maybe you, your 19-year-old self, gratitude for like, hey, thanks for getting crazy and and yeah. and actually defying what you called reality because you helped me live in what actually is reality, which is a realm where a lot is possible. And certainly a significant amount of things are possible that are beyond your current comprehension. I think that's reality. That small box called our comfort zone and belief system that's science fiction. We make that shit up and then we believe it. That's not reality though. Yeah. That's you're like putting yourself in a cage and, um, in spite, in spite of my rage, <laughs> still, just around <laughs> in a cage. And the door of the cage is open, which is either stay inside or we walk out. Yeah. But it's the conditioning, the Prussian schooling, philosophy and just like developing good workers to make sure they follow follow orders and when the bell rings you know you go back to work or take your little break and shit yeah be be an obedient person which you know you're really only obedient to what you believe but yeah go through yeah but if you don't follow the rules then you get i got i mean i used to get paddled when i was in school for I guess like talking in class or whatever, maybe getting, I got into a couple fights and, uh, but so like 
you know, you step out of line. I mean, I've been to jail like five times, like for weed and coke and a couple other things, but nothing terribly horrible. But uh, did you, like, I'm, did you, what's your relationship with like weed and psychedelics, if I might ask? Yeah, yeah, of course. I've uh, weed specifically. Uh, I've only used that once, and that was it's been a long time. I think it was September two thousand seven, and I unfortunately had a negative reaction. Where at the time, like on it, I was like, "This feels amazing," and it was quite psychedelic and yeah. like a beneficial experience. But then the next day, I broke out in the itchiest hives all Ooh. over my body. I don't know if it was like a allergy to the actual weed or if there was some kind of pesticide in there. It was allegedly <laughs> organic, but regardless, it was uncomfortable enough that I thought, well, I just don't feel the draw, the risk reward ratio. Plus I personally have a very addictive personality. Mm. And when I was on it, the ones it's like, I really like this. Uh, and me really liking something can be an issue even you know beyond any level of chemical addiction just psychological but then yeah with with the traditional psychedelics i've had um i would say a limited amount of experiences that have been impactful um i've w with psychedelics i think they have more of a barometer on them you know with an addictive personality it, it they're just easier for me to live in harmony with so with that said i uh, i don't use psychedelics frequently it's actually probably been a couple of years since i've used any but my first experience was with lsd and that was at the time the most profound day of my life mm -hmm. just felt so tapped in and connected to god and it felt as though my higher self was directly communicating with me it was whether it's all a hallucination or actual reality doesn't matter because it was very beneficial to me and, mm. and then um there's been some mushroom experiences and then i think several years ago i had a, a very powerful very uncomfortable and also very beautiful uh, ayahuasca ceremony in costa rica and that was um I mean, really beyond words. And, and I know at times for people listening, you hear people talk about their psychedelic experience and it's kind of like, oh, this again. But it true, truly is beyond words. Um, I, I feel as though some of what I allow myself to do as far as, in, in my opinion, being of service to humanity and taking risks that are drive me outside of my comfort zone, which therefore I go into fears, but willing to feel that anyway, I feel as though there's a lot of empowerment there from that specific ceremony. I love it. <clears throat> I love, thank you for sharing that. I was, because uh, I guess the perception would be that you're like fucking tripping every day or something. I don't, <laughs> because you I would never get anything done. I know. Right. And obviously you can't do that because, and I'm more, of an active, I guess, like user or whatever of psychedelics, but still you only do it at most, you're going to do it like once a month. Yeah. And that's, um, 
still a lot, you know, probably for anyone, but I have also an addictive personality and I'm trying to keep things in check. So I, I just smoke weed though. I'm not like a big, I don't do anything else except like mushrooms and yeah. Coke and some heroin. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Microdose math. Yeah. You know, let's really get, get stuff done today. Oh, that's funny. I was listening to Tim Dillon this morning or yesterday, and his there's this latest um, some kind of news story about how food it's like food equality or net neutrality with food, and no food is any worse than any other food. So you can either eat a salad or you can eat a bowl of cereal with some candy in it. And it's just, it's the same thing. Wow. I- Equity for, or social equity for food. Good yeah. God. It's, it's, and, and <clears throat> there's some new like national campaign for this type of belief structure, or whatever that, you, you know, no that, food is bad food. That and, a campaign called Imagination? Yeah. It's like you got to use your imagination to come up with some of this stuff. <laughs> and, and, and you're supposed to just, believe it it's like we're being gaslit and but you know it's not true but because they're saying it and if you say the opposite then you're gonna offend a plus-size person and i'm just like okay i don't know yeah man they the this formula that they use all across the board now on food it's the same predictable formula where they, they tell you something that's objectively not true, but they set up a consequence. Like if you were to like actually speak the truth and advocate the truth, here's the consequence. You're either racist or yeah. here you're shaming obese people. So it, it it's an intimidation tactic. And I don't think being a slave to fear empowers anyone. And, and when I look at the, I would call it the useful idiots advocating for now, like food equality. Maybe they have an inherently bad agenda. Maybe they have good intentions and they're just idiots promoting idiocracy. I've, I've, I have to, I've done my best to get out of the business of like basically just calling them out because it, it kind of like empowers them like, Hey, they can't be doing this. It's like, no, it's our, it's our fault. If we subscribe to it, mm-hmm. it nobody's going to enslave us with fear unless we volunteer for it. So I don't know for whatever that's worth it. Th- that helps me stay more amused and laugh at things that, I mean, that that's actually more absurd than what I would guess I'd learned today, but, Okay, yeah, that. that's the next next craze. Um, I wonder when they're going to outlaw exercise. Like exercise is a hate crime. Yeah, you're uh, shaming people. Yeah, it's shaming people. It's uh, aggression towards the obese community. <laughs> you're, not you're an okay. ableist. You're an yeah. ableist. I I was I was making a joke about being pro ableist uh i'm like i'm an able i'm coming out as an ableist too and i was i was texting one of my comedian friends robbie the fire bernstein and he was like he's like i wouldn't touch that that could be that could be uh you know 
bad for your business. And I, 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 I shoot him my ideas because he's a comedian and I want him to actually use it. I'm not going to really put it out there, but like, I was like, what's wrong with being pro people that have able bodies? Like, is that bad? Like, am I a bad person? Because I, but I'm not pro, I'm not anti disabled, Yeah. but it's like being pro healthy. Yeah, pro to me, pro-ableist pro means you're pro-ability. So to me, that implies whoever, whatever you are, live up to the best of your abilities. Like mm. that's that's actually called empowerment. But of course, that feels uh, yucky to people yeah. who love complacency. Have you heard of trans-ableist people? Uh-uh. Tell me. This one, it's, it's nothing but a straight-up mental illness. But there's a group of people, I've read articles, seen pictures, they're able-bodied people who identify as disabled. Like who I really am is an amputee. Now, some of them have actually gone to the extent of cutting off limbs because they truly feel who I am is an amputee. Uh, There's some people who who believe who they truly are is a blind person. And some of these people have poured bleach in their eyes to oh my God. burn their eyes out. It, it, and just to me, there's no debate about that's a mental illness. And we, mm. you know, if someone desperately needs help, the worst thing we can do is deny them the help and deny them the reality that you need help. It's like if I saw a four year old playing in the middle of the street out in traffic. And he's like, Hey, I'm Batman. I'm crusading. I'm like, no, you're not. Let me get you off the street. You need help. You need to be protected from yourself right now. To me, that's kind of what's going on with transableism. The universe was like, this isn't a a taboo topic. You will not discuss this. He got censored, didn't we? They're watching me. I know they're, I'm I'm just kidding. I always think people are watching but like, and they are, I guess, but like only if you do something like if you step out of line so far that they need to go and collect a bunch of data and be like, oh, you said this and this and this and this, yeah. I think is until you're making like significant enough waves against the system, you're going to, you, they'll let it ride. Yeah. Small fish, big fish, you know, they, they choose who they commit tyranny against probably. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of <clears throat> scary to, and because of all the people I work with, they're all like, a lot of them are cancelable. Yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, you're, you're saying stuff that you're maybe not supposed to say, or, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. know. I, I don't know. Like when they're all coming for you or like, when will they, cause they, they went for the one guy and it wasn't you. So you didn't say anything. And then they went for this other guy and it wasn't you. So you didn't say anything. And, but eventually they, they're going to come for you and then that's going to speak up for you. That's the thing. And, And I think what the past few years of cancel culture and that kind of thing has really taught us is, and I'll just use the term, the more you go woke and the more you virtue signal, the easier it is in the short term, but worse it is in the long term. We see that across the board with companies and we see it across the board with entertainers where, you know, if someone's 
like there's a difference between like whatever virtue signaling and having actual principles and my perspective whether someone's an entertainer or business the people who have principles and stick with them whether you know the skies are clear or there's a shit storm of cancel culture rolling in at them the people who stick to their principles no matter what they seem like they've grown more than uh the alternative vastly over the past few years and it, and yeah short term it can be a pain in the butt but long term it's uh i, I don't know I, I i think we are always better off when we know what we stand for we know what our perspective of truth is and we abandon it for fucking no one especially when it's uh, a mob of people trying to use fear and intimidation to get us to conform into something that we're not. Um, I don't know. That's my thought. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Just stick to what you believe and don't change for other people just so you can feel good for the short term or like not feel shamed because they're trying to like shame us into conformity of this new thought system and language and, you know, you yeah. speak these words, don't say those words. And it's just like, yeah, it, it's emotional coercion. Yeah. And, and I think there's, there's still for us, there still needs to be a distinction between cool. What are our principles? What's my truth? What's the message? And then abandoning that for fucking no one being there versus using that as a justification to be mean. So I, I think we do need to check ourselves and not just rationalize, like, hey, maybe I'm being an asshole, but I'm not going to see that because it's like, no, I'm speaking my truth. There's plenty of people who have perspectives that I agree with, but I can look at and be like, I agree with your perspective, but you're definitely being an asshole right now. I, I know for myself at times I need to point the finger and be like, yeah, I'm not standing for my principle right now. I'm using those words, but I'm being an asshole. And I want to be better than that. I, I want to be kind, respectful, bold when necessary, but always stick to the principles. And I think, and I think that shines through very clearly. You come through as an authentic, um, genuinely good person who's trying to make the world a better place through like comedy and levity. You know, trying to, but but also kind of awakening people to the truth. Yeah. through comedy and i i mean i think it's really shining through you're obviously doing a great job you're growing your audience and people come to you and it's funny because i get my news a lot of times from like you and <laughs> i'm sorry not all the time but like from rogan and, and yeah because i feel like i'm getting it from an unbiased source that doesn't have an agenda other than to kind of spread truth and, and, and laughter. Yeah. You know, it always scares me when people tell me they get most of their news <laughs> from me. It, it, it's scary, but it also I look at the alternatives in the world and realize exactly. like, well, yeah, I, I understand that. Cause the people who I look to not for like, what's my perspective, but for news, like information I want to consider and I'll cross-reference that against other information, look mm-hmm. at hypocrisies, holes, correlate. 
so all that, but like I'll I'll, I'll watch people, Russell Brand, Rogan, mm. who to the best of my ability, it seems like their heart's in the right spot. They have a genuine dedication and give a very earnest effort of discernment to look for what's actually real. They're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's like, we all make mistakes, but seeing that earnest effort is most important. You flip on most news channels and it's like, well, there's no earnest effort whatsoever to deliver people a true perspective. It's all what's sponsored by Pfizer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we, it's like, like you probably wouldn't say anything negative about sheath on a video sponsored by sheath. No, I definitely will. Uh, Well, you should, you kind of gave me permission. (laughs) But yeah, wouldn't it be interesting if we, you know, if we had a news channel Sheath is the principal sponsor, and we come out with like underwear mandates like, hey, everybody, you got to wear sheath. If you don't, you're definitely going to get gonorrhea. Here's the research that we just made up that proves that uh, you're putting your grandma at risk if you don't wear sheath. Just all intimidation. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I do, you, do you want children to die? I mean, like, seriously. Yeah. No, like, what, what are we trying to do here? Yeah. Do you not you know, care? Robert, I think if we can get. $750 million in funding, we could put this plan into place. Just let's live in this world for a second. We get Klaus Schwab on board. That guy, Have you seen the picture of him wearing women's lingerie on the beach? That was so weird. So weird. Clearly he sh- needs sheath underwear. Totally. So he'll be on board. You know, he, he'll probably take 30% of the budget because Klaus is very, um, he's a businessman. Uh, obviously, Bill Gates, he's got to do studies of sheath underwear on kids in Africa. Most of them will probably die, uh, but he'll. those studies will look really good, uh, doing our friend. Um, then CNN, uh, Biden administration, administration. that's kind of what it is now. Um, but I think they'll be on board. They don't, so $750 million in funding. Can you get that done by the end of the week, Robert? I'll see what I can do. I'll, I'll put together do. a flow chart and a spreadsheet. You raise $750 million. Going to hit the ground running early next week on this. And we'll get you, yeah, you'll be, you'll, you'll run the marketing side. And Absolutely. Uh, and okay. can you imagine the military's on board? You get dishonorably discharged if you don't wear sheath underwear? Yeah, because you're not in the proper uniform. So. Exactly. There you go. Uh, so, side note, funny, like Dave Smith, he's a libertarian. Um, oh, yeah. I, I think I've met him. Oh, yeah. He's awesome. And I've met him briefly. And he wears sheath and he could possibly be the libertarian candidate. And obviously, the libertarian candidate's not going to win. But having a presidential candidate wearing your underwear, it's going to be, be pretty, pretty cool. cool. Yeah. So that's what I'm, I'm hoping he, he can make this debate stage because he would do really, do really well, I think, because he's really, you know, good at crowd work and talking shit. Yeah. And it, he's really smart. Is I, I must admit, I'm not super informed of the political players in the libertarian movement, maybe just a little. Who, uh, like, are, are there many people that, uh, are above him in terms of libertarian popularity? Not anymore. He, I mean, he, he, he was, you know, you had Gary Johnson. That's who I, I didn't, anyways, that's who I voted for. And I did not vote last time because 
just the situation and um well you had many great options yeah i had the two options <laughs> and um so joe Jor- joe jorgensen lost uh yeah. but I, you know rogan voted i'm a fucking sick of i'm not a sycophant but i'm just like anyways i'm influenced by him like a lot of us are and uh but he's he's had Dave Smith on a couple times, and I think Dave's coming on again in a couple of days. Okay. He's going to be in Austin. He's playing two shows at the Creek in the Cave. Dave Smith is oh. he keeps promoting. I'm going to be in Austin, so I really th- he's going back on Rogan like this coming week, and so you'll maybe listen to that one. And he he just spits that libertarian shit or whatever. And he's he's I I, I like listening to him. It's one of my favorite podcasts. His uh, Joe Jorgensen left the scene of the libertarian. Candidates. No, no, she's still around, but she just wasn't. She was like doing a lot of woke stuff, I guess, okay. that was not really jiving with the Dave Smith part of the libertarian party. Yeah. And so, and he was like calling her out on trying to be like pro black lives matter, which of course all black lives matter, all black lives matter. Yeah. Organization is objectively corrupt. The statement is like, of course they matter. Yeah. It's like, okay. Anyways, that's just, that's just a weird thing. I I said all lives matter one time and I got blasted. So yeah, sorry. (laughs) It's funny, like 10, whatever, 20 years ago, if you said all lives don't matter, it's like, what are you like? Are you a genocidal maniac? Like who, who doesn't matter? Right. No. Yeah. We don't have to get into that, but he's, I think he's going to be the candidate. And if he is, then that'll be fun. And um, so are you going to Skankfest? No. Heard of that? I have not heard of it. What is it? a comedy festival. It's going to be in Austin. I mean, in uh, Vegas, in October fourteenth through the sixteenth. A, a lot, like a lot of the biggest, like a lot of like Legion of Skanks, Shane Gillis, Mark Norman, Joe List, um, like new, a lot of New York. Ari Shafir, yeah. those guys. Oh, sounds incredible. Yeah, it's going to be. It'll, it should be fun. So maybe next time you go because you're doing a tour. You're touring. Yeah, kind of like a never-ending tour. Uh, It's been, uh, I started touring, it's going to be five years ago this November, and never stopped. Uh, And now that I've got a a little boy, he's a year and a half, um, I've got new boundaries where like only two weekends a month will I be touring. And then uh, coming up this winter, I am taking an off-season. I'll be taking three months off the road. I just feel a craving like, I, I want an off season and, you know, kind of whatever hibernate and yeah, recharge, of, recharge for sure. And it's yeah. being on stage. It's, it's my favorite part of what I get to do, but the, the off season is more from airports and being away yeah. from my family. And okay, now I'm in a hotel in St. Louis. Uh, so, uh, but man, I, I, I love being able to travel around and see different, you know, the U.S. has so many different subcultures within it. any city is different uh, and then being on stage. But yeah, uh, long story short, yes, I'm touring. Right on. Well, you go to like jpsears.com, check out. Awakenwithjp.com. I think someone who's in the Juice Plus uh, kind of multi-level marketing company uh, way back in the day, they got jpsears.com and 
was in my early 20s. I'm like, damn it. Awakenwithjimp.com. <laughs> well, check that out. Check him out. Check out his channel. Check out this sheath-sponsored videos on his new channel, JP Reacts. You get a more authentic side of him. It's not all fun and games or like the acting part of it. So, and I can, I, I could talk to you for a lot longer, but I'm going to want to respect your time. I, I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing your story with us and my audience. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me, Robert. And, and thank you for uh, what you do. I mean, you bring a valuable, fun product to the world. It's great to be partnered with you. I love that been wearing sheath long before we were uh, working together. And thank you for just being the, the genuine, curious, uh, high vibe person that you are. It's just a real pleasure to get to talk to you one-on-one -on -one like this. It was so fun and so gratifying. I really appreciate it. I won't continue on that too much. Just it was a pleasure. And uh, hopefully we'll get to, you know, meet each other in person in the not too distant future. Yeah, I think we will. All right, brother. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to let you get back to your day. Everyone out there, this has been another fucking Robert Patton Global Podcast. We bring the best fucking people on here. I have, we've had best-selling author Michael Malice, UFC champion of the world Brandon Marino, and now JP Sears. So uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks, JP. You betcha. See you All soon, right. brother. See you later. All right. You guys, that was awesome. That was a treat for me. The, I, I was coming off COVID, still coming off COVID, but I didn't want to have to reschedule uh, that interview because it was such a big fish, if you will. Fucking JP Sears. Check out his channel. And we're like right in line with how we came to be where we are as far as like the books we've read the philosophies we've practiced and um the fact that we're our trajectory is intersected right here today it was amazing i'm so grateful thank you everyone for being you know being here watching this podcast it means a lot to me and uh we'll be back next week